Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Of the first chapter of Acts. former treaties I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let us bow for a moment of prayer. Lord, we know that you are here this morning, here to bless us and lift us up, to forgive us of sin, and to save those who are lost. Whatever the needs might be of this congregation, our Father, we know that you can meet And the only reason that anyone might depart from this service without needs met is because of our own unwillingness to respond to your call. So Lord, melt our hearts today. Those of us who are Christian, mold us into the pattern that you would have us. Make us a part of the vital work, the caring of your gospel in this community. Help this church, our Father, to be a continual lighthouse that reaches out to the the people of our own congregation and of this community, and most especially to the lost. Lord, we pray that you will speak very, very sincerely and strongly to every individual in this congregation and on our prayer lists who need to know you as Lord and Savior. May today be the day of a new beginning when someone is born into your kingdom. We pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. I've commented in time past that sometimes we overlook the, the beginnings of the scriptures. That is, the first few verses that simply introduce the scripture. And the first three verses that we have from the first chapter of Acts falls into that category. Just an identification of the person to whom this particular document is written and what the subject matter is to be. But Luke says that he has already written a document that he calls a treatise in the King James concerning this person Jesus, what he began to do until he was taken up into heaven. There was no question in the mind of Luke or any of the others of the apostles or even of the people of that day that Jesus was a historical individual. 
There was a person, a real, live human being, identified as Jesus from Nazareth, who claimed that he was the Son of God. And he grew up and preached this fact throughout all of Judea and Galilee and performed miracles of many kinds. But the Jew didn't believe him. They said he was a blasphemer. They said he was an imposter, claiming to be somebody that he was not. The Romans looked upon him as an insurrectionist, an inciter of riots. Those two groups finally got together and they made an end of that person. They took him out outside the city of Jerusalem and put him on a cross. He died there. They would have taken his body off that cross and just thrown it over the cliff like they did the two thieves that were crucified with him. But someone with more compassion came and asked for the body and took the body and put it in a tomb. They took care of that imposter. They took care of that inciter of riots. And that was the end of the subject, so they thought. And to be sure that nobody could possibly come and steal the body and say that he arose from the grave, they put soldiers around it, stationed them there all day and night to guard that tomb. He died on Friday. Come Sunday morning, there were some rumors spreading. The rumors were that he had in fact done as he said he would do, and he had come out of the grave. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. A woman out of whom Jesus had cast devils. An impure, immoral individual, if there ever was one. And Jesus said he had forgiven her sins, and she loved him and went to the tomb to help the other women prepare his body for its final resting place. The body was gone, and she, in her grief, stood in the garden. And she comes back to the, the disciples and said, I saw him. He's alive. Peter and John run out to the tomb. And Peter, in his boldness, runs into the tomb, and there's nothing there except the cloth that they had covered his body and the napkin that was around his head. And the tomb was empty except there was a person in the tomb that Peter identified as an angel and that angel said, he's not here. He's arisen. Two of the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, back to their home, and a stranger joined him, joined them and went along with them. And finally they came back to Jerusalem and said, We saw the Lord. The authorities go out to the tomb. And it's empty. And there are the soldiers still there on duty. They asked those soldiers what happened and they said, We don't know. 
We stood here all night and all day. We were on guard. Nobody came. But somehow that rock in front of the tomb rolled away. And they said, don't you tell anybody what happened. You lie about it. You say we went to sleep. And while we were asleep, somebody came and stole his body. For 40 days, the rumors spread. Jesus had arisen. And the synagogue, the temple people, the Sanhedrin, the Roman government, all were trying to argue away the person of Jesus Christ. The same kind of arguments that are being given in today's world, there are people who are trying to argue away the reality of a resurrected Christ. As if he means nothing. He died, he was put in the tomb, and that's that. But listen, we're here this morning as a testimony to the fact that this person who died on the cross and went to the tomb didn't stay there. Now there were some arguments given, some hypotheses proposed as to what might have happened because nobody could doubt that the tomb was empty. Well, the first theory was that the disciples came and stole his body while the soldiers slept. We have our first Watergate. The first government lie. When the government itself denies its activities in anything. And to cover it up, they lie that so that they won't have to reveal the truth. And the soldiers testify and witnessed and were paid for the testimony. The apostles came and stole his body. We just got tired and were asleep. Believe it if you want. Secondly, there were those who said, now he really didn't die on the cross. He passed out. And they didn't know that he had passed out. They thought he was dead. And so they took his body down and they took, took it to the tomb and put it in there. And the coolness of the tomb revived him. And he got up and he rolled that stone away from inside and got out. Now consider, if you will, this human being who has been beaten, who has hung on the cross, whose hands are wounded with those nails, whose feet are wounded with the nails, who has a gaping opening in his side where the, the spear was thrust in and all of his blood and water rushed out of getting up off of that cold rock slab and having enough energy to pull open that stone and do it so quietly that the soldiers don't know that he did it and sneak out by him. You want to buy that one? Well, if you don't like that one, then there's another one I can give you. And that is that Mary Magdalene really didn't see Jesus in the garden. It was all in her mind. Peter really didn't see him. It's just weirdos. Those 
those 500 people who said they saw him were all crazy. They didn't see him. Just somebody's imagination, a vision theory. The two people on the road to Emmaus, they didn't see him. That really was a stranger. And that stranger just suddenly disappeared in their house when he offered the prayer at the meal time. Well, there's a fourth one offered. And that is, it's called the telegram theory. That is, Jesus died and went to heaven and he telegrammed his image back. And everybody was just seeing an image. It really wasn't him. They just saw a picture of him. Well, if you don't like that one, we can go with the legendary theory, and that is that Jesus was nothing more than a legend anyway. There was no resurrection. That's just somebody's imagination. Proposed with the church and supported in order that we can keep on going. If you take the resurrection of Jesus Christ out of the church, can you imagine any reason for us ever being here? But Luke said, Jesus for 40 days presented infallible proofs that he did resurrect. Infallible proofs. There are 10 recorded appearances in the scripture of Jesus after the tomb, before the ascension. Mary Magdalene, the other, the three women at the tomb, to Peter, to the two on the road to Emmaus, to the ten when Thomas was absent, and to the eleven then when Thomas was finally present. There was a time he appeared to seven of them in Galilee, a time that he appeared to five hundred, and a time that he appeared to his half-brother James. And then there was a time that he appeared to all eleven of them in Bethany, all recorded in the Gospels. Roman law, Jewish law, would accept the testimony of three people as having validity to any subject. I cannot imagine any court in this land denying the testimony from 11, 10, from 10 different occasions of 11 apostles and 500 people and all of the women who testified they could come before the court and everyone was telling the same story. They had seen the body of the resurrected Christ. They had felt him. They had eaten with him. They had heard him speak. There was nothing in their mind that could be swayed. They didn't think maybe they were firm and positive in their experience. It's this kind of thing that we need as a church to give the testimony of the resurrected Christ to the world. That we need to know without doubt in our minds and hearts that we serve a resurrected Savior. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're never going to get to heaven. That's one of the requirements in belief for entrance into heaven is that you believe that God has raised him from the dead. 
We believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and he now stands on the right hand of the Father in heaven. Yes, the proof is there. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it unless I can take my finger and put it in his hands and in his side. Jesus said, all right, Thomas, do it. They heard him speak. They handled him. They have seen him. I think there is no reason, not one logical reason that any person can give that will hold up under any kind of scrutiny for denying Jesus Christ. Not one. If you this morning are not a Christian, your denial of him as your Savior will not stand up under any kind of scrutiny. It will fall apart because there is no reason that can be given except one simple down uh, flat refusal to accept and acknowledge that which he knows is true. That's all. What does it take to convince a person that he needs to be saved? We say continually there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Without Jesus Christ there is a hell to pay. Is that not sufficient? Is it not sufficient to say that there was enough love in God and heaven for you and for me that he was willing to give his only begotten son that whoever, whoever will believe in him shall be saved. I'm amazed at the number of people and I probably am one of them who jumps to conclusions if it is written in the newspaper it's supposed to be true and we're going to take it as gospel I never have purchased one I keep saying I'm going to and I just can't make myself do it to purchase the National Enquirer but I see the headlines as I go through the Kroger checkout or whatever else. And I almost always read them, and I read such things like this. Woman gives birth to dog. Now let me tell you, that's gospel, folks. It happened because I saw it in the headlines of the National Enquirer. Just this week I saw one that said, two-headed woman pregnant. A two-headed woman? I don't know what it's got to do with her being pregnant that she's got two heads. But that's the headlines. And that's the truth. Because I saw it in black and white. And I believe what I see in black and white. No, I don't. 
Here's the black and white that we need to be looking at. This says many things about God and about Jesus Christ, but we don't believe what we see in black and white. Unless it happens to be juicy, enticing, off the wall, oddball stuff, and then, brother, it becomes the truth. Why is it so hard, so strange, to accept the truth of God and deny? We deny, people deny all that he said to us. But we'll buy anything anybody else wants to put in print. But not what God puts in print. He must be lying. Let's take the National Enquirer and make that our gospel. Because that stuff's the truth. They researched it. They've got the facts. This stuff, these are guys that didn't know what they were talking about. They were off in the second story. They had no experience. They never heard of a person called Christ. They made it all up. Sixty-six guys wrote over hundreds of years the same truth. But it can't be right, can it? Why? Because the devil is saying, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Reject it. Forget it. It's not right. When you die, everybody's going to go to heaven. Well, if everybody's all going to go to heaven when we die, why all this stuff that we're doing? Why have revival? Because the truth in here doesn't bear that out. That's why. Let me go to 1 Corinthians a moment, chapter 15. Verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead? If there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Did you hear that? If Christ did not arise from the grave, your faith, whatever you might have, is vain, worthless. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are in your sins. Romans 10, 9 and 10. A very important and key verse for any person to read and consider. If you are thinking about becoming a Christian... Pay attention to Romans 10, 9, and 10. I hope you have it there. Now look what it says. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, here's the way to become one. 
If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you believe there is a Son of God who came to earth and died on the cross and went back to heaven, but you've never accepted him as your Savior, you're not saved today, look at these two verses. It says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has what? Has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Now let's look at that closely again. What, what does it say to be saved? Confess with your mouth Jesus Christ. And believe in your heart. What? Believe what in your heart? That God raised him from the dead. Two things. One deals with the heart. One deals with the mouth. You see those two things? Do you believe in the resurrected Christ? Then say so. Say so. And when you have accomplished that, the scripture says you shall be saved. Alright, verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's the way you believe is with the heart. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I had a person say to me one time, I believe in Jesus Christ and I've been a Christian for a long time, but I never told anybody and I don't believe that for one moment. Because this two verses says to me, unless you're willing to confess what you say you believe, you don't have it, brother. You don't have it. If you believe in Jesus Christ and have never publicly acknowledged that, this morning is the time for you to do it. This morning. I'm not saying I want you to join this church. I hope we understand that at no time where are we so much interested in people making decisions that they might become a part of this particular organization. What we're saying is you ought to become a part of the body of Christ. Now after you've done that comes the second step which is baptism because baptism is in obedience to what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to be baptized as an external symbol of what has taken place in the heart. He only gave us two things to do. One was to be baptized and one was to, to partake of the Lord's Supper, the communion service. Those two things he told us to observe. So if one believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth, the next thing he will want to do is be obedient. And the first act of obedience for a new Christian is to be baptized. To say to the entire world, I'm saved. I have accepted Christ as my Savior. Baptism doesn't save. Only saved people are baptized. I hope we understand that. You're saved first and then you're baptized. So this morning, we have said there is a resurrected Christ that we serve. And that's the only reason that we're here. We're here because we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he's now on the right hand of the Father. If you believe that, then the next step is to confess it. And we always ask you to get out of your seat and come down the aisle and come forward to do that.
The reason is if you don't believe enough in the resurrected Christ to step out and take your stand with him, there's some question as to whether you believe at all. It is an act of faith on your part to take a step forward for Christ. To put pride behind you. There are many adults who never becomes a Christian because he's too proud. He is, he is too proud to say, I have failed. He's too proud to say, I'm a sinner. He's too proud to say, I've never become a Christian yet. You've got to start sometime. There's going to be many people who are going to be too proud to get into heaven. But let me tell you, your pride will take you to hell. Today can be the beginning of a new life for some of you, for many of you. Some of you need to make a response to the invitation this morning and act upon what you say you believe. Do you believe in the resurrected Christ? Your answer, I'm sure, would be yes. Then the step is to confess him. We're not going to have to make a long speech, but we do want you to step out and come forward. I'll talk with you a little bit to make sure you understand what you're doing, to answer any questions if that's necessary. And you'll stand here in front of this church as, as a sign of what you have believed in your heart and you're now outwardly making this expression to this congregation saying, I am accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Begin it today. There are other decisions that need to be made in this congregation. Some people need to become a part of this church. Some of you need to rededicate your life to the Lord because maybe you've been wayward. I don't know what your needs are, but listen, you're not responding to me nor to the church. You're responding to God on high, to Jesus Christ who died on the cross and came out of the grave. That's who you're responding to. What's your condition this morning? What's the nature of your heart? When we give the invitation, won't you just simply step out of your seat and come forward and say, I am going to do with my body and with my mouth what I believe in my heart. Put feet on your faith and profess Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.